one thing we constantly hear is you don't have Canadian experience. We all come with transferable skills. We may not have relevant industry experience, but that industry experience can always be gained with a little bit of support from the organization, with a little bit of training from the organization. When people come with transferable skills, I think it's an exercise and both parties are, I feel, equally responsible. The organizations there or workplaces there are also equally responsible for making those students because they're new to that culture, they're new to that country. They're still figuring out so many things about how things work socially, professionally, at school, academically. It becomes everybody's responsibility and not just of those people who are coming from another country to try and help them maximize on those transferable skills. And welcome to episode 30 of Intercultural Insiders. My name is John McGraw, and I help newcomers, expats, and businesses connect across cultures to succeed in less time and pain. I am the founder of Hyaku Coaching, which is dedicated to helping you create your pathway to success in a new culture. The purpose of Intercultural Insiders is to share the stories of people with intercultural experiences. So if you're feeling isolated or lost, you can hear something from the guests' experiences that could help you, even if it's just a reminder that you're not alone. Today is part one of the interview with Shini Sani, and I will introduce her in a moment. But there's just something I'd like to talk a little bit about first. We often focus on what it is that we don't have, but I was reminded recently by my business coach to focus on the gain or what I've accomplished over the past 12 months. And I feel it's quite significant. And it's in no small part to the wonderful network of people whom I've connected with and have reached out to me. In particular, I wanted to focus a little bit on some of the things that I've accomplished recently. So I've been quite busy with workshops and speaking opportunities. Last Saturday, I held another session through Brilliant Minds Group called Get Along to Get Ahead, Canadian Work Etiquette and Expectations. And last Monday, I ran the second part of a two-part session workshop in conjunction with JVS and Infonet Canada for pre-arrivals titled Embracing Life in Canada, Intercultural Adaptation and Integration. And it's been wonderful being able to connect with people who either have arrived in Canada or in the case of the JVS program, pre-arrivals and helping them to find their way into integrating to life here in Canada while still remaining true to themselves and their own cultures. And with that, let's get into our guest today. This is part one of a two-part interview with Shini. She is a mental wellness and fitness coach who worked as a psychotherapist for 17 years in India before transitioning into coaching. She is currently in India, but she will be relocating to Canada later this year. In this first part, she talks about her early experiences with a learning disability that informed her direction into mental wellness. 
the usage and overusage of mental health terminology in the mainstream and its impact and the effects of immigration on mental health. And so without further wait, let's get into part one of the interview with Shini Sun. Shini, could you please go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, John. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I'm a mental wellness and mental fitness coach from India. I live in New Delhi, which is also the capital city. I worked as a psychotherapist here in India for 17 years across clinical settings before making a formal transition to coaching last year in the mid of 2022. I'm a certified health and wellness coach now with, of course, my prime focus area being mental well-being and fitness since that is my background. Also as part of my work, create a lot of awareness and I talk a lot about the importance of lifestyle medicine with regards to mental health and well-being. Since the time I started working as a coach, I think over the months, I find that the majority of my clients now are business owners, founders, entrepreneurs, and people working in executive leadership. And that was never the idea to work just specifically with that segment. But I think that shift has been organic. That's the segment of people I'm largely working with now. What I do in my work is that I specialize in helping my clients better manage their emotional health, especially their uncomfortable or challenging emotions, facing them, acknowledging them, helping them identify their negative thinking patterns, self-sabotaging behavior, improving relationship health and communication skills, and overall health manage their stress and anxiety levels. Emotional dysregulation, I feel, is far too common and it is a specific challenge area for so many of us. A lot of times it goes unaddressed. And again, a very big part of what I do with my clients, I pay special attention to that area. Also, my work, involves proactive coping skills and brain training techniques for improved focus, attention and productivity. Since I work with executive leaders, those are areas of concern for them and breaking unhealthy habits, replacing them with healthy ones. Professionally, that just about covers what I do as a coach. I'm a mom and my daughter's 16. So over these years, I've become quite adept at managing the teenage storm daily. (laughs) Something or the other comes up. I'm an art enthusiast as well. I particularly used to enjoy working with watercolors. I have dabbled in acrylics as well, but I think watercolors was what I quite enjoyed. I'm currently authoring two books. I hope to be able to publish them this year. Let's see how that goes. Fingers test. So that's about me. That's about my work. I'd like to know, even before we get talking about your work, what is it that led you into mental health and wellness from the beginning? And even before you went into the coaching side of things. John, back when I was in school, I always have been so passionate about art. Also, growing up with a specific learning disability, I had mathematics learning disability that I struggled with through my school years. From the time I started primary school, and this is in India, a country which puts a lot of emphasis on mathematical ability. We pride ourselves on being good with numbers. That is the general perception also worldwide for Indians. It's just expected in Indian families that, oh, our children will excel at mathematics at least. We also expect it to be good at science, numbers, all of that. I didn't fit in to that whole concept. I didn't fit in at all. And I didn't know why I didn't fit in. I was struggling so much with numbers. 
I had no idea what was going on. There was no awareness at that time. I grew up in the 80s. There was no talk around it, no support available. I think my primary school years, the one constant for me was, oh, you can't do simple addition, you can't do simple division, you're so dumb. And this came in so many different forms and so many different ways from relatives, from friends, my peer group, from my teachers as well, that I started to buy into that story. And I realized that, okay, so many people are saying the same thing. Maybe it's true. My confidence and my sense of self-worth was rock bottom. Sports, of course, was an outlet. I used to play a lot of sports. I used to paint. And I got very drawn also to art because I thought, okay, I'm not good enough in any other area. Academics is clearly not my strong suit because mathematics is important and that's something I can't do. So I'll focus just on painting. So after 10th grade, we do have this option of choosing our subjects. And of course, I dropped mathematics. And I saw a marked change in my performance in school, a marked improvement. Because before that, it was so nightmarish all my life because I knew I had to do the homework, I had to attend classes, I had to clear my exams. And all of that was gone. And I actually scored well enough that when I went to university, Psychology was still a very, not very new, but still a relatively new subject here in India being offered in university. I opted for that. And that was my very first understanding of what I had gone through. Even before applying to the course, to to, get, to enroll in the course, I was largely, because of the pain and the suffering that I had gone through emotionally, I was very drawn to it. Okay, let me understand how the human mind works. What are these disorders and disabilities all about? A lot of it was about that. Honestly, it was very personal at that point. And as I studied more and more, of course, I got drawn more into the field. And then there was no looking back from there. But that's how it started. I appreciate you sharing all of this, of your stories and your early struggles, how it affected your confidence, and then the opportunity to learn more about it and to take your experiences and bring that into the work that you do now. I think that there is a lot of misunderstanding when it comes to neurodivergency. And I think that also it ties into understandings in different cultures as well, and also cultural misunderstandings. What are different people capable of? And I Absolutely. think that very much ties into all of the discussions around diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's not just about where a person happens to be born or what their passport is. It's all of their experiences. So I think that this very much ties into this discussion about culture. So thank you for sharing that. So you got into studying about psychology in university and going into this work. So perhaps you can take us through the journey of the work that you did and your transition into the coaching side of things. So I'll briefly talk about the years that I've worked as a therapist because I want to focus more on the coaching aspect of my work now. I worked across clinical settings. I worked with rehabilitation centers, worked with hospitals. I did set up my own private practice also, which I ran for a number of years. What made me actually consider coaching was, this was during the pandemic when there was so much going on. It actually became a mental health epidemic as well. And in all parts of the world, in every single country, those effects were felt. And there was a very clear realization that not too much attention is being paid to the preventive aspect of mental health care and mental well-being. Why should we sit around waiting for crisis to hit? 
Why should we sit around waiting for people to go down that slippery slope and go down that spiral? Early intervention points can be created and emotional regulation can be strengthened. Mental fitness can be strengthened so that a lot of what people deal with or are forced to deal with because they haven't sought help at the right time, a lot of that can actually be avoided. And this realization came very strongly during the pandemic. So that, I think, was what made me reevaluate my professional choices and the path forward, the road that I wanted to take. Also, I was also still struggling. I had my own health concerns as well. I got COVID and it went on for months. So that was also a part of it. I did take a break for a couple of months and I thought about this. I thought this through and I decided, okay, let me take a step back from mainstream therapy. And I'm going to focus on coaching now. As a therapist, I did not work with children. I worked only with adults, 20 and above, largely. As a coach now, I get to work a lot with teenagers as well. I address university students. There's so much open conversation about their struggles, their stresses. India being such a competitive environment academically, I think by virtue of the population that we have, there's so much competition in every field that university students, especially in competitive fields, engineering, medical, there's so much stress on them. And that stress is not just to perform well in their exams and to do better, secure good marks and get into a good college. A lot of it is from their families also. Unrealistic expectations, no understanding of whether or not one can cope. These continue to be challenges even today, unfortunately. A lot of these are present-day challenges also. So that's what made me consider coaching. And that's how I made that shift. Thank you for that explanation. You have a much greater understanding clearly of therapy than I do, obviously. But to perhaps clarify a bit more for the audience, my understanding of therapy versus coaching is that therapy is focused on the past to help people cope with the present, whereas coaching is more future-oriented in terms of... Right what's the reality now so that you can make the choices in the future, which is not to say that one is better than the other. And in fact, both can be quite complementary, but that's my understanding of that. So what would you say to that? Very correct, John. Therapy is more about coming to terms with what has happened, processing it and how it applies to the present. Coaching is very forward movement oriented. It's very planning action steps, what to do next. Moving forward, it's structured that way. So I feel personally for me, because I also did experience intense emotional and physical burnout during those couple of years of the pandemic. And personally also, I feel making that shift did me so much good. Not to say that I didn't enjoy working as a therapist. I did. Very fulfilling. But this is less intense, for sure. This is less intense. And it's a lot of collaborative work. Since it's very forward movement, it's very exciting also for me as a coach and also for my clients. I think now that I can draw those comparisons, a happier space for me to be in. You mentioned that you also do a fair bit with students when it comes to coaching, if I understand correctly. Uh, yes, not as clients, but I do address teenage students and high school students and university students. I do workshops with them. I've done a bunch of keynote speeches just as a way to create awareness and to start conversations and to get people comfortable about addressing and acknowledging their challenges so that they don't bottle everything up. 
I think that is a very good age for them to start having those conversations with one another, to open up to one another and learn to open up to the world at large. That, hey, this is me. This is my challenge. How do I go about it? How do I cope with it? It seems to me that younger generations appear to be more open when it comes to discussing mental health challenges as compared to perhaps our generations. They are more open, John. But again, on the flip side, there's also a very big concern that I think a lot of terminology is being used so loosely now. Words like trauma, words like depression, words like narcissism. So many conditions and so many therapy toys, if I may use that term. They're being thrown around and used so loosely because it may come from a place of attention-seeking on social media or it's just become a part of how they talk, which I think is so unhealthy. It is so unhealthy because what they don't realize is, so when somebody says, oh, I'm so traumatized, such and such thing happened a couple of days back, or I have so much workload for the next week, I'm so depressed. Now, that is not what depression is, or that is not what trauma is. I think that clear understanding of what these terms mean is so important because the people who are actually suffering from these, I think it's unfair to them. Because if everybody has trauma and if everybody is depressed, then what about the people who are actually suffering from depression? Where do they go? They may choose to not seek help because of it because they think, oh, everybody is depressed. Why should I especially go out and seek help? This is just part of the society we live in. That's not true. That's a very good point that I hadn't considered. And I think that students who are coming internationally probably face even greater challenges on top of all of the other challenges of just going to college or university. So for those students who are reluctant to consider exploring getting help, maybe because of those reasons, as you mentioned, what could you say to them? A lot of factors come into play here. So I'll speak about Indian students or even Indian workers who, let's say, migrate to Canada who work. One thing they constantly hear is, you don't have Canadian experience. Students face that as well because they're working part-time. So while somebody is maybe studying medicine, but is having to work at a retail store at minimum wage. Now, even as a student, they might have skills way beyond what they're doing as part-time work. We all come with transferable skills. We may not have relevant industry experience, but that industry experience can always be gained with a little bit of support from the organization, with a little bit of training from the organization. When people come with transferable skills, I think it's an exercise and both parties are, I feel, equally responsible. The organizations there or workplaces there are also equally responsible for making those students because they're new to that culture, they're new to that country. They're still figuring out so many things about how things work socially, professionally, at school, academically. It becomes everybody's responsibility and not just of those people who are coming from another country to try and help them maximize on those transferable skills. Somebody might be excellent at communication. Somebody might be an excellent negotiator. Somebody might be coming with the superior decision-making skills and a lot of other people. So I think an understanding of personal strengths and then how do you play to those strengths and how you utilize those strengths in an unfamiliar environment also because the skills are useful everywhere. It's not just here in India, not in Canada. Anywhere in the world you go, these are skills that you can put to use anywhere in the world. And that this is just my view. I don't know how things are being done there because I haven't had first-hand experience of it. 
but this is just from what i hear from people seems to be a major concern and it's very demotivating for them it's very demotivating demoralizing and again something that may potentially lead to for mental health complications there seems to be a disconnect when it comes to bringing in newcomers and international students in the government recognizing a number of skills to grant visas and yet when it comes to businesses they focus as you said on that canadian experience and i feel there does need to be more work on both sides it's only beneficial for canada as a whole if we deal with that as you said having a view of what your strengths are your transferable skills can be of benefit because of course it's not just students but it's also people with 15 20 years of experience being in senior positions and then not being able to get work in yeah. their field when they come here you mentioned thinking about the transferable skills in terms of resilience what kind of thoughts would you have about that in terms of resilience i think again i feel there is so much all of us can do in small ways to support and to promote cultural inclusivity and diversity it's also the people moving from here i think this remains a challenge for not just indians but people moving from different parts of the world i know of doctors who become cab drivers in canada i know of senior professionals from other industries who are working in completely different professions it does have a radial effect in terms of their confidence might go down their sense of self worth will obviously take a hit some of them have moved with families now they are not very happy or very comfortable sharing with their families also about what they are doing over there i know some people actually are not completely honest and transparent about the work that they do there and i think what it also leads to is isolation people tend to isolate themselves because they don't want to come face to face with those conversations they don't want to have those conversations because it's uncomfortable it makes them feel less worthy it makes them feel dejected about the whole idea of moving to a new place because move to the first world you're moving to that's the perception you're moving to land of opportunity and that's how it is it just takes that little bit of time and to understand that it's a curve it may not happen very quickly but that time can be utilized to have conversations to network to meet people from not just your own community or own culture people coming from different parts get an understanding of how they're coping with it because i think as immigrants everybody has similar challenges if not the same so isolation i feel is a big concern when people isolate themselves again then they put themselves on that downward slope where it leads to something else and leads to something else and then before they know it they're struggling with all sorts of mental health challenges if i had to pick one area of concern or one area where i feel people can be more resilient and more proactive is to not isolate themselves even if they're not entirely comfortable with the situation just go out make their presence felt take up space talk about your story listen to other people's stories and i know for a fact that does open up a lot of doors as well finding others to communicate with really does make a big difference absolutely also it's very easy to sit at home alone and just experience those thoughts and those emotions on repeat on a loop and get into that self sabotaging mode that why did i even come here i'm not good enough to fit into the society i'm not good enough to fit into this culture or it's not been fair to me that's another thing things are not fair but i think while of course organizations and agencies it is 
impart their responsibility to better integrate those people in every way that they can. But also half of that responsibility is also the people who are moving from other countries because it is actually us as immigrants who need to find ways to integrate better, to become a part of that system and to realize that it's not going to happen overnight. It's a journey and just to be at it day after day. And I've seen things turn around overnight for people just because they didn't give up and they kept putting in the work. So that was part one of the conversation with Shini Sani. A lot of things that came up, the concerns about mental health for people integrating into other cultures. There's not only the move and being in a different place, but being set back as many coming to Canada have to start almost from square one because of a lack of Canadian experience and lack of recognition of international experience and the impact that can have on mental health for students as well and a vulnerable time in their life and for experienced adults who, again, have to start from square one. The overusage of therapeutic terms does lessen the significance of some of those mental health challenges. Thank you again for mentioning that, Shini. Highlighting a couple of comments that came up from Rosemary, who is a previous guest on the show and also an intercultural coach and a colleague in Toronto. Onboarding programs are a necessary component of this transition, and I completely agree. Uh, there are a number of programs that are being offered, the programs that I've been doing through JVS as one example, but even more extensive programs, I think, are vital to help with that transition and to make people aware of the resources for mental health and well-being is something that needs to be done so that we can help not only these newcomers transition successfully, but it's beneficial for society as a whole and be able to help them so they can give back by contributing, which is what they want to do. They want to succeed here. They want to give back. So why not make it easier for them? Next week, June 14th at 12 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time is part two, episode 31 with Sheenie. She's going to talk about India's cultural diversity and how it connects to relocating to Canada, the awareness of cultural tendencies and how that differs from stereotyping and avoiding the dangers of stereotyping, and being proud of your culture while also living outside of it. So until then, keep navigating your way between cultures towards your goals. <music> <laughs>